The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle Hyman, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who loves to cuddle when it's cold out, Josh <laughs> Borboni. How are you doing this evening? I am okay. I'm okay. It's like you had a little inner window into my life with that. <laughs> oh, really? No, not actually. It's the opposite. I'm okay. like, <laughs> I get so much crap for not being like that. Oh, I didn't know. I was I was taking a, a stab at the guess. dark here. <laughs> so, gotcha. Well, you know, that's kind of one of those 50-50 shots, right? Like, you like to cuddle or you don't. That's true. I mean, I appreciate it, but... Um, yeah, I'm a... What's the right word? What's the right way to say this? I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> okay. Just not your favorite thing? Uh, I don't know. I can't really say. My wife is right next to me, so I can't be <laughs> candid. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I wasn't, wasn't looking to get too philosophical there, but that's cool. That's totally fine. That's totally fine. So how are you doing otherwise there, Josh? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, we're officially... I wouldn't say we're officially in fall season, but it's been like... In the seventies, the past three days, so it's kind of weird. Oh, really? Like, so it's been warm for you? Yeah, it's been pretty warm. Um, today was like the first day where it didn't. I don't think it passed seventy, but it still didn't. Like, I still felt overdressed for wearing a hoodie and jeans. So, uh, you know, we're getting ready. I think this week the highest. I don't think it's going to get over sixty-five. So, I think we're officially in fall weather now. Yeah, we have a couple days, uh, 70 here on Monday and Tuesday this week. We're supposed to be warm. But then after that, it's supposed to rain most of the day Wednesday and then highs in the 50s for the the next 10 days. (laughs) So I think we are also uh, hitting the fall weather here pretty hard. But speaking of fall, Josh, we talked a little bit before we started the show about, you know, is it too early to be excited for Thanksgiving or being looking forward to Thanksgiving? Yeah. And you had mentioned it's not. So I'm going to propose this is like pregame. 1.0, 1.0, and then we might have pregame 1.5, depending on how this goes. <laughs> sure. Um, so take me through, Josh, if you would. I know, I think we talked about this way, way at the beginning of Board with Video Games. So one of the initial episodes, I think we talked about like the traditional, like what our Thanksgivings are traditionally like. Sure. So Josh, what are, are there traditional foods? Are there traditional things that you have at Thanksgiving? And the reason I'm asking this specifically is that the partner and I, I, we want to do something different for Thanksgiving this year. Right, we don't right. want to just do the traditional turkey stuffing, all that good stuff, because she's, in general, not a huge fan of it. Like, I like it. I think it's good. But she's really wanting to, like, do something totally different. And since it's one of the few times where we have multiple days off and actually could, like, really cook some stuff, we're just trying to, you know, talk to other people, figuring out what their traditions are, seeing what there's maybe is unique out there that yeah. we could explore more. So, Josh, what are your typical Thanksgiving traditions? Well, I'm, I hate to tell you, but nothing. I'm not going to tell you anything that's unique. To, that you can, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, 
bring over. Um, it's pretty pretty standard stuff: turkey stuffing, all that normal stuff. Nothing nothing that no one's ever heard of. It's just very normal, regular Thanksgiving stuff. Um, something that we do before every holiday. That I guess is probably not normal for every family. Is that um, before we sit down to have? I guess the appetizer, if you will, like the salad, or sometimes it's like a, uh, I don't know if you've ever had like the um, uh, fruit salad with sherbet on top. Have you ever done that oh. before? So we do. Uh, yeah, like, I know what you're talking about. Either we do that or we do salad. Um, everyone does a shot together. So we usually like toast the who's not around or if an event has happened in the family, but um, something like that. That happens before every holiday dinner. Um, but yeah, otherwise, for Thanksgiving, everything's pretty normal. Um, we don't really watch football in the in the house um, on Thanksgiving, which I think would probably be abnormal for most people. Like, we'll sit down, we'll talk for a few hours. We always have way more desserts than we should. And then uh, I'll try to sneak in a couple casual board games at the end of the day. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I mean, watching football, especially this season, I don't know that, you know, well, not that the Patriots play on Thanksgiving, but right. with how their season is going in general. Yeah. Sometimes that we do play on Thanksgiving, but it's very, uh, it's few and far between. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you just played the Cowboys today and that, that didn't go very well for <laughs> Yeah. My boss is a Cowboys fan too, so I'm sure oh, I no. get to hear all about it <laughs> tomorrow. No. That's too bad. That's <laughs> and he was at the no, game a... too. <laughs> oh, was it? Okay. Well, okay. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I mean, we're trying, like I said, we're trying to kind of figure out something different. The current leader uh, of what we should do is uh, making multiple varieties of empanadas. Okay, and I think Kevin Austin does tacos, so I think you're pretty close to what Kevin does, yeah. Yeah, because we had discussed tacos, and I was like, well, we could actually make like the shells and all that other stuff, but we eat tacos pretty regularly. Granted, we don't always make our own shells from scratch, but... I was like, you know, I don't know that I've ever made empanadas at home. And, you know, they're very versatile. You can do a lot of different things. could make both your meal and your desserts could be empanadas. Like, there's just so much you can do with it. So I think that's the current leader. But listeners, if you have ideas, things that you'd recommend, uh, let me know. I would love to know what your Thanksgiving traditions are. Even if they're super quote-unquote traditional, that's totally fine. Uh, The other big thing that I was going to say is we're going to try to potentially make – lefsa at home and i don't know if i i have quite the the gall to do that i don't know what that is but lefsa (laughs) is it's a pretty big thing here in the upper midwest um it's a kind of like a flatbread almost like a tortilla um but then you put like butter and cinnamon sugar and all and roll it up and eat it it's pretty delicious it's pretty great not gonna not gonna lie but um yeah it's pretty wonderful so well pregame josh 1.5 then yeah so I know we've talked about this happening before, but how often, Josh, do you think you get in a gaming rut where just like you either don't feel like playing anything or what is happening to me currently, there's so many things that I want to play that I just don't really end up playing anything because I just like scroll through all my options. I'm like, I want to play all of these things. And I look at them for 30 minutes and I'm like, well, they're in half of my gaming time just looking at all my options. I guess I'm just going to watch a television show, (laughs) like, you know. Is it is this a regular often occurrence for you? Like how how have gaming ruts been for you lately? Yeah, I mean, I think it happens weekly for me. To be honest, um, wow. So, okay. Sometimes they last longer than others. Like 
Um, and I say that meaning like sometimes I know I'll want to play something, but I will sit down to play something and not to want to do it. Um, uh, that happens more than I care um, to admit. But usually it's because of other distractions like TV mm-hmm. shows or something. But I would say once every maybe three months is probably I get like a real rut. Like I really just don't want to play anything for like a solid week. Uh, even though I have stuff I want to play or have right. to play. Um, uh, I mean, I could probably easily attribute it to like small bouts of insomnia or stress at home. Uh, pr- probably consistently I can probably tie it to something like that, but I don't always like overanalyze it. I'm just, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I'm in a rut and, uh, and it happens sometimes and, yeah. and different things get me out of it. Sometimes it's playing a game with, uh, a friend to get me out of that. Cause I know I'll be helping them get out of a rut or sometimes it's like, I haven't played nearly as much Fire Cry 6 as I want to, because I just haven't, um, been making the time for it because I haven't felt you need to play it. <laughs> It's because you hate it, isn't it? Yes. Far Cry 6, the worst game ever. <laughs> well, now you'll know how I feel about how people think <laughs> I think about Far Cry 5, yes. so it'll be great. <laughs> no, I hear you. How about you? So I, Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in that one of those ruts right now where I sat down to play stuff and I just looked at all the things I wanted to play and I was like, I couldn't decide. I was like par- paralyzed by choice, right? Like, yeah. there's so many things that I could do that I just can't pick any of them. Um and the other time that it happens, like occasionally it will happen where I'm just not feeling something, usually, like wanting to play something. Usually that's like right after I have finished a game I really enjoyed. It's typically like, well, there's probably nothing that's going to like meet that like level of of goodness I just had. So I, I tend to kind of bounce off just in general things for a while. But the other time that it tends to happen to me is when we're like two weeks out from a game I really want to play. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I can't get anything. I'm probably not going to be able to finish anything unless I can find something that's going to be super short. I'm like, well, I'm probably not going to finish anything. So I don't really know what to do because I don't want to start something and then not finish it. Uh, but if I have like moderately anticipated games, I have no problem starting them and then putting them aside when the when right. that moderately anticipated game comes up. But for some reason, when I'm like really excited to play a game. I just have like zero desire to jump into something that I know I'm not going to finish. So those tend to be the times for me. Um, yeah, it just right now I, I didn't anticipate that this fall I'd have so many games that I wanted to play. But I just have so many. This this fall has been surprising to me just with delays and everything else. And, you know, quote unquote, all the games being pushed out of this year. Like there's still so much to play right now. And it's it's pretty ridiculous. Um I can't imagine what this year would have been like if we didn't have the delays that we've had. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, we'd be playing more games that we had never heard of or have been in our backlogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. So yeah, listener, if you, how often do you get in gaming ruts? Let us know. We'd love to, we'd love to hear how often that happens, what you do to get out of them. Do you just let them run their course? Do you try to get yourself out of them? Uh, I tend to just let them run their course because I figure sooner or later, usually within a week or two, I'll be back to where I was, but you know, love to always 
hear your thoughts on those things, listeners. And with that, we will transition and get into the show proper. So thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. We're a proud part to play some video games, and PSVG is on Patreon. We are thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share a show with someone who you think would enjoy it. I do want to give a special shout out, though, to some of our producers over on the Patreon, like Edwin Kahlo, AJ Pentecost, Chris M., Devin Tyus, Joe Wilson, Josh Borboni, Nick Creature, Nick Fallhaber, Paul Calico, RJ Kern, Stephen Keller, Zach Adams, Michael Taylor, Trucker Sloth, and of course... Horse Girl 69. We definitely appreciate your support over there. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So with that, we're going to start talking about what we've been playing. Josh, what have you been playing on your television or computer or tabletop which i don't think happened at all oh no it did this week (laughs) uh yeah so i'm still playing fire cry 6 um i'm not crazy far into it i far enough where i get off the main island you start on and uh i've gotten a little further in the main area but there's this game is huge (laughs) right uh in fact i was a gasp at how big the map was once I got off of the tiny island and got to see how just how big this island this game is. Yeah, I remember seeing the map prior to oh, okay. the whole game to the game coming out. And they're like, oh like you start on this little itsy bitsy island. And I was like, okay, cool. But it still didn't prepare me for when they're like, all right, now you know I guess minor spoilers of the game. Pick which one of the three places you want to go to kind of start your journey yeah. on the Big Island. Uh, and I was like, well, I guess I'll go to the one you kind of recommend. And then it's like, all right, it's like one point nine kilometers, and you're like, what? And you're like jumping this boat and going really slow. Yeah, you're it's like, like a thousand it's take forever of- to get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and I and the small island feels very big until you it get does. off of it. So yeah, I think they did a good job on that. Um, so yeah, still playing that, having fun with that. Uh, also playing Back for Blood, um, which is on Game Pass, which is accessible to everyone. Uh, I talked, to, I was on PSVG uh, last week, and I talked a little bit about it. Um, it's fun. I really enjoy it for what it is. However, it is not a game that has been designed to play single player, um, as I referenced, like. If you just stop and turn around, you'll just look behind you and see your three AI people just standing still, <laughs> waiting for you to do something. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little frustrating, but it is what it is. Uh, I still really like it. I would love to play with more people, and that will be my goal, to find people to play with. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's on Game Pass. So, uh, so it is on Game Pass, and it's on PC as well, Game Pass. Are you playing it on your console or on your computer? Xbox, on the Xbox. Um, uh, on the computer, I'm playing PGA 2K21 because it was part of Humble Bundle. I did own it on, well, I do own it on the Xbox. Um, but because I have Humble Bundle, I was like, well, hey, 
Uh, I'll also play it here. And I know some people who have Humble Bundle. So I was like, hey, I'll uh, create a um, golf league on the PC and I'll play with those people. So I set up a like eight tournaments and nobody joined me. It was just me all by myself. Uh, so that was pointless. <laughs> well, well, Josh, you know, the funny thing about the, the really funny thing about this, right? No, it was also on PlayStation plus. You actually own it on PlayStation. Oh, so I own it on three consoles. Three platforms. Um, but yeah, I still like that game a lot and I still, and, and it looks great on the computer as well. So, um, I'm going to at least, play through my rounds of the tournament by myself uh and then i uh saw speaking of humble bundle this thing popped up all over the place actually randomly for me on social media where humble bundle had a uh deal with this game called the hunter call of the wild which was um a game i never thought i would be interested in period um because it's a like a deer hunter style game um but it is uh, first person. It looks really like the. It looks great. There's tracking involved. Um, part of the, th- the humble thing is I did the like the. I didn't do the the. It was like fifteen bucks and it got you everything like all the DLC. I did the like the seven dollar one where I got like fifteen DLCs instead of all of them. Um, but it includes like. Uh, uh, like off-road cars and stuff like that, but uh, um, just playing it a little bit where you're tracking scat and footprints and using binoculars and and GPS. Uh, It's just a very, like, I'm not the type of person who really, like, lets recreationally just go kill animals, but, um, I mean, I can appreciate it for what it is, and it's pretty cool, and it looks really nice. So it was fun to grab, uh, grab that and play it a little bit. Uh, so yeah, it's on Humble Bundle now. So like seven dollars and fifty cents gets you the full game and like a bunch of DLC. Uh, then okay, so Cruising Blast is a game I got. I wasn't planning on getting it, but uh, it popped up in our Discord. People were sharing this deal. Normally a forty dollar game, uh, ten dollars off at Best Buy, and then if you bought it, you also get a ten dollar reward certificate. So and I was like, okay, I know I've played this in the arcade with my son recently and i love the cruising games when they were on the n64 so i was like yeah give it a shot and yeah it's great it plays just like the cruising world games and it's fun and it's arcadey and it's easy to a degree and i got a a very good price and i used that ten dollar um gift card to put towards a movie that i got uh which was also nice so yeah, Cruise and Blast on the Switch, that is, if I didn't say that, on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, and then, uh, last for video games, I uh, started my homework and playing Visage on Xbox. I didn't, I could have, put, it's on PC also, but I, I did uh, put it on the Xbox. Um, this game is horrifying. <laughs> is it, so it actually is very scary. It's essentially PT, uh, oh. where it almost uh, starts exactly like PT uh, to a degree. It, the very beginning starts a little different, but as you exit a room, it puts you into the PT hallways of PT. <laughs> and there's pictures, and there's a phone that's ringing, and there's lights that go out. Um, before you start the game, it does actually give you a disclaimer, and it says, this game is hard. 
there's no you can't change the difficulty and it says uh like with careful deduction and analyzing of clues and taking your time uh this will be the best way for you to make it less hard on yourself um yes and it has kind of like chapters so you can you start walking through the apartment and uh, you may go interact with an object and it will uh, tell you like, hey, do you want to pick this item up? If you do, it will start this chapter. And then you can say yes or no. So I did do that. I picked up a mirror key. And then you got to find out where that goes. And then Gael, I, well, a light bulb bursts above me. And then you are challenged to like uh, find light bulbs and repair them. But the game is also like an eldritch horror kind of game where if you are in darkness for too long you start to lose sanity and when they say darkness they just mean like if you're literally in a hallway with no lights you start to lose sanity so you might want to walk a little bit faster into a room with light so i found i found this uh mirror key room and i opened the door and i went into this room and it's one of those rooms where Everything in the room is furniture covered with um, sheets. <laughs> and you are encouraged to pull a sheet off of an object. And it was a I mirror. And it was a mirror. <laughs> so I did. And then uh, if you look in the mirror, you will notice that the door that is behind you that is open is actually closed in the mirror. And then I was like, nope, 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 nope. I'll come back to this later. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a break. It's very tense. It's very um, interesting. It's very scary. So thanks, Kyle. <laughs> no problem. I, like I said, I know you like scary things. Oh, yeah. I love it. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, uh, I did play a game I have played before. Uh, this time with the expansion, um, I played Isle of Cats with friends yesterday, actually. It turned out to be a very long game and a long night. But Isle of Cats, uh, if you don't remember me talking about it before, is a game where you have a boat. Each person has a boat. You are trying to rescue cats off of the shores of this island before um, this bad guy ship shows up to, I guess, I mean, really thematically, it doesn't matter. Just that's how the game ends. Uh, And as you are rescuing cats... You are also trying to meet uh, private goals, uh, public goals. Uh, You are trying to uh, fill your boat. And on your boat, everyone's boat has rats on the boat. And you're trying to block the rats because you lose points for visible rats at the end. Trying to fill your seven different parts of the ship and you also lose points if you don't completely fill um parts of the ship as well uh so you lose five points if you don't um completely fill an area of this one of the seven areas times seven if you don't fill any of it um and as you recruit cats uh as you recruit as you rescue cats they come in tetra tre- tetramino tetramino shapes tetramino shapes uh in not all not all tetris shapes but shapes that resemble tetraminos uh and you're placing them on your ship once you place your first cat that you rescue which you need to use baskets to rescue them you don't have an unlimited supply you actually have to 
play cards to get more baskets. Um, you put it on your boat, the first cat you put down is the base of your expansion of cats. And then after you put down your first cat, any cat or treasure that you find or rescue has to be adjacent to the piece you put down. And each round starts off like uh, Seven Wonders where you draft. So you get seven cards, you pick two, you pass to your left or your right, depending on the round. Pick two until you get to your last one, which you just have to take, which will give you seven cards. And then to play those cards, you actually have to pay for them in fiches. And you have each round you start with 20 fish. And the fish are used as currency to either and and uh, pay for the cards you want to keep and to rescue cats. Uh, so on the board, you have a side of the island that has a bunch of cats that cost three fish, and then the other side, a bunch of cats that cost five fish. They're all random, so it just depends on the luck of the, the, the cat bag. Uh, but it's a really fun game, and I think this is one of those games where the rule book can seem a little daunting, but after you play the first round, everything makes sense, and it's very easy to play. Um, the, and then I would say what slows this game down is probably the last two rounds where everyone really starts to think about their turns and what they want to do at the end, uh, which made it for a very long night, but it was still fun. Um, but it turned out to be like four and a half hour game when it was all said and done. I mean, that includes like breaks and drinks and bathroom breaks and stuff like that. But, uh, when you start at eight o'clock, 8 PM, like 1230 hits hard sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Goodness gracious, Josh. That's a lot that you played this week. That is a lot for someone who feels like he's in the gaming funk. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Uh, if you had to pick from all of those things, yeah, what was the single highlight of something that happened in your gaming experiences for the week? Whoa. Um, woof. Single, a single highlight from yeah. all of my gaming. Oh boy. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I have okay. a standout. A lot of fun things happened in Far Cry. Um, in Back for Blood, I don't know that anything is standout. Uh, I didn't do anything particularly good. I was in last place in Isle of Cats, so I don't have any like <laughs> braggy moments for Isle of Cats. Um, I still really enjoy going into a compound in Far Cry and kind of just taking it over. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this one, they make it really, they make it a little bit more interesting where, um, uh, you get hunted at certain points mm-hmm. if you're killing too many people. Um, but I think like the biggest challenge for Fire Cry is to move on. Yeah. Like it's a, it sends you a pretty clear signal when you've completed what you're supposed to do, but they don't stop coming very much like back for blood. Uh, you just kind of have to move <laughs> on. It's just a little bit more manageable in Far Cry 6 if you want to hang out for a little bit longer. Um, Back for a Blood, they really rely on that trope of uh, if you don't move on, they're just going to keep funneling bad guys at you. 
Right. Uh, so, um, and I guess maybe running into Chorizo in Far Cry 6, that was a really fun moment. Um, mm. Yes. So I thought that was that was cool as well. But yeah, I guess I don't have I don't have to like I know sometimes there's definitely gaming moments that are big standouts. I just don't have one for this week. No, that's okay. That's okay. Uh did have you noticed that if you have um Chorizo as your amigo hmm. um and you I just do stop have him moving. Though, yeah. Oh yeah, and if you just stop moving, he just curls up and takes a nap. Oh, does he? I didn't I'll yeah. just, I'll have to take that. <laughs> he does attack cute. people, it's... which I think is pretty funny. Yeah, he has gotten uh had some a few moments where i've been very very sad because sometimes he just runs out into the road and man does he go flying sometimes and i'm glad that all you have to do is run over and pat him on his head he's good to go again because goodness gracious that poor dog um but yeah okay for me as far as what i've been playing uh it's pretty much a repeat of last week um i've just played more far cry 6 and more metroid dread yeah um just trying to kind of you know progress through these games and and honestly you know make some progress towards finishing them uh for far cry 6 i have made some pretty solid progress i think i I know i'm nowhere near as far as like folks like donnie and stuff in it but i'm still pretty happy with you know how much i've gotten played uh i did have one mission that i had to do that was i was very annoyed by the time i i finished it um and i don't know if you've done this mission i'll be very vague about you'll know right away and i'm gonna be very vague is you have to go get a specific kind of truck no Okay, so you have to get this specific kind of truck so you can do this mission. So I went to go get this truck. And, of course, it's not like, in this case, it was not like, oh, go to this place and get this truck. It was like, hey, you have to find one of these trucks that's just in the environment naturally, yeah. right? <laughs> find whatever. Like I'm like, I know there's a ton of them. It'll take, you know, five minutes of, you know, being on a made road and I'll be able to get one. That's fine. First one that comes up, I'm like, oh, sweet, this is great. So I take out the driver. And I'm about to get in the truck, and then the tank shows up. <laughs> and I didn't even know the tank was here, but then the tank shot the truck, and it blew up the truck with me in it. So I was like, well, that's done. Okay, let's try this again. So then, you know, Far Cry being Far Cry, I come back into the game, and now, like, you know, the place I had chosen to spawn, which before had, like, nobody there, now there's, like, this firefight going on as I come into this. And I'm like... I just want to go get this truck. Like, come on. Like, I, I really tried to just make progress. So then very much like you talked about, like things just start happening. Right. And before long, there is so many taking out like vehicles in the road that all of the vehicles have to just like drive into like the grass and like around the road and whatever. But there's just all these people keep showing up. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to just run away because, you know, Far Cry. One thing I think Far Cry has always done really well is that, you can get very overwhelmed very quickly. So like you can be like, oh, I'm doing great, but then all of a sudden things can just get out of hand. Yes. And you know, the they bullets hit hard in that game. So <laughs> I was at this point where, you know, vehicles are like can't really drive on the road anymore. Everything's getting backed up, blah, 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 blah. And I'm still like trying to fight off. I just have a couple people left and they're like I had gotten it. So like the type of truck I needed was there and available. I'm like, I'm just gonna kill these couple people and then I'm gonna go get in it. <laughs> I'm standing in the grass off the side of the road, and this car just comes blazing through because they can't drive off the road. It just kills and runs into me and kills me because <laughs> I'm just standing there. I'm like, oh my gosh! So let's try this again. So then I jump in again to go do this thing. This time, thankfully, there's absolutely like no firefights going on or anything like that. I drop in. I'm like, okay, this is good. 
running around, running around, running around, running around, running <laughs> around. Where is this dang truck? Like, it was like 20 minutes for me to find one. Like the other two times found one basically immediately. Yeah. And now this time I'm like, I'm like, where is this stupid thing? And just that, you know, is so far cry though. Like that's just the way those things go of like, <laughs> I just was like absolutely ridiculous. I am <laughs> still enjoying the game. Um, I know uh, Donnie had posted a uh, video of him like falling through the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been really lucky. I've had no bugs, really no issues, really no frame choppiness. Like, everything has been running really, really well. Um, so, yeah, so, so far, so good. Um, I This game is a little, I don't want to say loosey-goosey, but I would like a touch more direction, which I know that they have, like, the golden path of, like, go here, do this, go here, do this, go here, do this. But there's something just about it for me just feels like, they're like, hey, like, you can be running around the world and see people with exclamation points. And they're like, oh, hey, here's the location of an anti-aircraft gun. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, that's way over there. Right. Like, way over there. <laughs> I mean, why did you give that to me when I was here? Like, that's way, way, like, in a level, in an area that's, like, way higher level than me. Yeah. But now I feel like I want to go get it because you just gave it, you know, like, so. Yeah. But overall, still really enjoying it. Um, So I'll keep playing it here. Um, I know we have... Guardians of the Galaxy not too far off, so I'm going to yeah. have to figure out what I'm going to do there because I don't think I'm going to get this done before then. So I uh, have to make some decisions about that. But also then Metroid Dread, um, you know, I have never, like I t- said last week, I've you know never played a ton of Metroid. Um, I really like this game. I'm having wow. a lot of fun with it. Um, there, It has continued to be, there is some... Um, finger gymnastics you have to do with the controls uh there are definitely some things that i'm like oof, this is not super intuitive to me um and maybe it is for people who've played a ton of metroid but there's a couple things that just seem a little more complicated than they would need to be granted off the top of my head i couldn't figure out a way to fix it but it just seems like you're making me hold three things down to make me hold three things down yeah um but yeah i'm actually i'm, I'm really enjoying it i i was a little frustrated with the controls initially but i i over that for the most part as far as just how things move in the environment and getting used to that. Um, there is an enemy type now that is annoying as heck that I'm, I'm really not a fan of. Um, but other than that, um, it's good. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, it is hard. It is challenging. I, I know people out there have been like, there's been some conversation about whether this game is too hard. I don't think it's too hard. Uh, but you definitely like can't you know slack off. The only thing that's I think is maybe that might i think some of the attacks are a little unbalanced a little bit of like you'll be fighting enemies and like what is like their main attacks are like you're like okay that probably should do a lot of damage to me but then like just their little like piddly like you know things to distract you that you have to dodge stuff like if you miss like it takes off like three quarters of your health you're like what that was like just a little piddly thing like what that wasn't even like the big attack um so yeah so that's a little uh, just a couple of those things i'm like i feel like that's just slightly more punishing than maybe it should be yeah. um but overall like i like i said that's a nit like I, I don't think it's unfair um i i just think that could be have been tuned slightly differently for a more enjoyable gameplay experience but overall i'm really enjoying it i, I think if you're on the fence about it i would encourage you to get it um but yeah I, i'm pleasantly surprised i i this wasn't on my radar i kind of picked it up on a win because everyone was talking about how good it was um and i'm really glad i did i'm having a lot of fun with it so with that let's move on to our topics of the show josh what is your first topic this week 
Well, speaking of Nintendo Switch, Nintendo what Sega did. Uh, you see what I did there? I did uh, see that. We did have our... Well, we had a... a uh, Animal Crossing Direct, and then a super secret stealth drop of Nintendo Switch Online um, update, which kind of just came out after the Direct. Um, So, they did the the trailer kind of thing that we've already seen before, to a degree where they talked about how Nintendo Switch Online will be including the N64 and the Sega Mega Drive games. Uh, but what they did uh, also announce is that there, it will also include the Animal Crossing expansion. Um, but not only did that uh, get mentioned, they also mentioned a price hike for Nintendo Switch Online in general and uh, on top of their uh, new bundle. So... If you want a single-person, 12-month subscription for Nintendo Switch Online, it'll be 20 bucks for a year, which I think, if I'm not wrong, that's higher than it was before, right? I think it's always been $20. Has it always been 20 I think, okay. yeah. Okay, so that being said, if you would like to get the um, Nintendo Switch Online games plus the expansion pack, which, like I said, is the Sega Mega Drive, the N64, and the Animal Crossing Happy Home Paradise expansion. Uh, the Happy Home Paradise expansion comes out November 5th. October 26th will be when the uh, N64 and Sega games go live. It will cost you $50 a year. Um, and you just kind of have to have that Animal Crossing expansion. It is included. And obviously, you don't have to take advantage of it, but it is included in that. Um, and then the big jump, which I think was really where the internet blew up to a degree, was for those people using the family plan, which a lot of people are because it made more sense. Uh, if you would like to be on the family plan, uh, which gets you have up to eight accounts, and you want to use this uh, new uh, membership, it will be $80 a year for N64, Sega, and Animal Crossing. So, um, I've seen positives and negatives all over the place uh obviously the negatives are more loud but my question to you is uh do you what do you think about the price um change and do you think it is a valuable uh do you think it's worth the money (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question so (laughs) let me start off by saying as clearly as i can uh, i don't i don't think dev listens but if dev does listen I think these prices actually. Oh, he does. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I actually <laughs> think that these prices are fine. Yeah. That the the Nintendo Switch Online being fifty dollars a month or for twelve months, which I think it's also slightly interesting that you can only buy it as a twelve month. I don't think they have the one month and three month options for it. Right. It's only a twelve month for fifty bucks, or the family membership at eighty dollars. In general, I think that's a good price. I think where the problem comes in, if you want to say problem, quote unquote problem, is that Nintendo has set themselves up for failure because of how inexpensive the original plan is. Right. Since the original plan is $20, and for 
if you and I know this it's included, so you can be like, oh, like I don't play Animal Crossing. Right. So if I were to buy an individual membership, instead of twenty dollars, I'm now paying fifty dollars for some N sixty four and Genesis games. Exactly. Like I'm yeah. paying more than double, right? And now granted, if you are playing Animal Crossing, the price of the DLC alone probably makes it worth it at least for the first year. Right. But I, I really think that's kind of where the shock is coming from, is that the original plan it was so affordable. Ridiculous. Like, probably too cheap, to be honest. Yes. And now they come out with a price point that is actually pretty reasonable, but in comparison to what they had been doing, just seems like so much more. Um, so that's kind of where I come down on it. I don't think it's a bad price at all. I just think that the optics because of how inexpensive the previous plan was, makes this look far, far more expensive or like a significant um, jack-up of price. But when you compare it to, you know, PlayStation Plus, Xbox Live, Xbox Gold, like any of those other things, like it is completely reasonably priced in comparison to all of that stuff, to me at least. What are your thoughts, Josh? I agree with you to to a degree. Um, I think, yeah... If you look at it, the the N sixty four and Sega games are going to cost you an extra thirty dollars a year. I think that's a a tough like 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 if you want that, I think it is probably worth it to if you don't have a Genesis Mini and you're just really dying to play N sixty four games, which uh, are notoriously do not survive the test of time. Right. Um, the forced ha- expansion for Animal Crossing probably makes the price hike look less appealing if you don't want it. They probably shouldn't have even yeah. included it, to be honest. Uh, I And you're right. I Their price was way too low for what they were offering. But here's my thing. Because you mentioned like um, Xbox and Sony and how... Like I would say, competitively priced it is. It's actually more than <laughs> some of those if you look at it. But uh, they're they have a horrendous uh, system. What are you getting from online for them? They don't have voice chat. They just put out a Bluetooth that doesn't work if you're online. Uh, oh, really? That I didn't know. <laughs> so it, it's Sorry. it's Sorry. just. They don't I didn't know have. That that's really funny. <laughs> they don't have a good, um, and I get it, right? Like Nintendo doesn't want kids talking to. I, well, I mean, they say that. It, it, I think the defense is that it's an online safety thing for kids, but I don't know that that is necessarily. Hey, the truth. only play only PlayStation has come out and said that. I mean, right. come on, Nintendo's never said that they want right. to protect the kids. And like, you can only play, PlayStation does. Kids play Fortnite. Kids play Minecraft. <laughs> they use Xbox Voice Chat all the time. The fact that you can't do that and the fact that Nintendo Switch Online seems to struggle so much in comparison to other online services, I think that's, for me, the biggest problem with the price hike. And like, uh, we're, we're part of a family membership. Uh, I told Donnie I'd be happy to chip in. I, I tell him I'm happy to chip in all the time anyways. But right. um, I would be happy if everyone wanted to bump it up to... 80. I think that's affordable if you have eight people. That's 10 bucks a year. That's not right. bad at all. No. Um, I think the 12 month single one is a harder pill to swallow than a family plan. If you have eight people who are contributing, not necessarily like seven kids and you, then you're still paying 80. That's true. 
So yeah, I mean, I think the bigger problem is I'm not interested in the 64 games or the Mega Drive games because I have a Sega Classic. And I mean, I might try an N64 game at some point, but I know Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64 aren't going to run great on this thing. Like, because they're just too old and they're of that graphical like generation that just doesn't look and control good at this point. And if you're not using an N64 controller, what are you even doing? Because I'm watching the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time portion, and how are you going to play the Ocarina when you don't have a C directions on your controller when it pops up on the... Yeah, but they didn't change that in the game. Like, they're not going to change the C up. They're not re-designing re the game for button inputs to change. But I'm saying, but yeah, but like your Joy-Cons hat, like the bot, your D-pad basically is that on the basic Joy-Cons. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Maybe I'm overanalyzing so. that part. Um, it is what it is. I mean, they it's Nintendo. They they charge, they notoriously charge too much for their own games anyways. And I don't mean that when they first come out. I just mean five years after they're, they've been out. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's, and if I was actively playing Animal Crossing, it would make sense for me to get an individual plan but right i'm not doing that yeah and i think that is the they, well so many people are playing animal crossing that for a lot of people i think this is a pretty much a no-brainer just because of that sure. right and i think you it's know? like 25 bucks on its own so it's definitely worth the the jump right. in price yeah and you're right i do have a a slanted view on this because you know i am part of that same family behind like yeah. so you know my commitment is is minimal to nothing every year um so and realistically for me the reason i don't think it's worth it is i think about how often i go into the nes and super nes like libraries that they have and it's really fun to kind of play old games for five to ten to fifteen minutes but and maybe i'm cult of the new but then i for many of them i realize like why old you know i don't want to say old game is old but a lot of times old game is old you know yes. like so it's fun to jump in for a little bit, but that's where, like, for especially Nintendo 64, I have some great, great nostalgic memories of playing N64 games. Almost every single one of them is playing with three other people. Oh, like, yeah, for all sure. all of my, you know, so me sitting down, and granted, I know that you can use Nintendo Switch Online and play these games, but, like, that's not the same as me sitting down in my dorm room with my three friends and, like, right. playing Mario Party or GoldenEye and all that other stuff, right? Like, it's just a different experience. So, yeah, I, I yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I, I think you bring up great points that it is potentially um, a, a, a steep price based off the quality of the online experience you're paying for. I, I think that's totally valid. But since I play my Switch so little online, and since I'm part of a family membership already, I think of it as like, you know, is it worth five to ten bucks a year for me? Well, yeah, sure. You know, why not? So, it's you know, it's a coffee from a fancy coffee place a year you right. know like i can handle that so yeah cool any other thoughts on this no i mean once again it's just something that that got blown out of proportion by gotcha. the entire internet <laughs> uh real quick josh uh so you're not playing animal crossing at all anymore no my wife just started replaying it again and i was like well if you want me to play it again i will but i i nuked my island and gave away everything that i spent a year getting so I don't know that the want is really there. Because <laughs> I was going to ask if like this DLC and stuff was enough to like bring you back to playing it. There, the free stuff, the free update, really. Uh, it just honestly watching that trailer, it just it made me think 
they're adding so many more tedious things. Mm. Like making food, which means now you got to harvest all these different things to make recipes just to have them set out on your table. Like you're not even really like decorating your house with them. You can eat them, but it doesn't really help you uh, that much more than just eating a regular fruit. So I just thought all the stuff they were adding really just made would have made it more tedious to play. So I'm not, I don't really feel like I'm missing out. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, listeners, are you going to upgrade your Nintendo Switch Online? Let us know. Are all those N64 games enough for you? Let us know. Did you buy $50 controllers? <laughs> Let us know. Um, I do think it's really odd that they're like, hey, look at these cool controllers, but you could only buy them on Nintendo Switch Online. If you are a Nintendo Switch Online person. Yeah. yeah. I, that's interesting. So. <laughs> All right. So my first topic this year, this year, this episode, Josh, <laughs> is the Zenobia Awards were announced. So let's take a look at these. First off, Josh, are you familiar with the Zenobia Awards? No. <laughs> this was something I just started hearing about like a month ago or so. Is the first time I really heard about them. Um, so, listener, if you're not familiar, the Zenobia Awards um, are uh, some board games awards that look at trying to um, encourage people to produce historically ac- or more historically accurate board games and to explore historical the historical areas um, with different perspectives that maybe we haven't looked at before. Um, so I'll just read a bit from their site here, just a little bit, just to kind of give you some perspective on what the Zenobia Awards are trying to do. So it says, quote, historical board games are enjoyed by people from all walks of life, but their designers are predominantly white men. The Zenobia Award hopes to change this by encouraging game submissions by people from marginalized groups. The Zenobia Award is not an ordinary design award. Promising applicants will receive mentorship on their designs from established industry designers, and the winners will receive help navigating the game publication process in addition to a cash prize. Um, so that's just a little bit of kind of what they're trying to do and, and the purpose of what the awards are. Um, and then the criteria are, first, the design should be a board game or other tabletop game that does not rely on role play or a referee and can be played in under two hours. And second, the game must attempt to tackle some historical subject, political, social, cultural, scientific, economic, military, or other. So those are kind of like the general sorts of games that they're looking for. Um, just Josh, as far as like concept of what they're trying to do, what are your thoughts? I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, it's definitely something that's called for. Uh, we've seen some like uh, culturally inappropriate games come out or, or kind of like taking advantage of the look of a certain peoples or, or events that happen to them. So um, at least it makes the people who are designing these games think twice and maybe come in with a more educated opinion on it, which is kind of what you want, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and just so you know, uh, listener, the first prize was $5,000. Second place was $1,500. And third place was $1,000. And then the winners will, with their consent, will receive help in pitching their design to the publishing partners of uh, the Zenobia Award. Um, and they have a number of publishing partners, some of them bigger, most of them smaller, um, but things like Academy Games, Capstone Games, um, I think GMT and probably Osprey are the two biggest uh, companies that are, are currently um, supporting them. Though World of Games, uh, which is Cole Wherley, um, and his brother Drew, 
um, are also part of it. And, you know, they're pretty prolific designers and all that good stuff. So with that out of the way, Josh, let's talk about the winners. Hmm. So <clears throat> the Zenobia Awards over 11 months called 150 applicants to 46 proposals down to eight finalists. And then a group of 14 final judges played and ranked the eight finalist prototypes. And then they met and they made some decisions. And here were the winners. We'll go from third to first because why not? Third place was Winne Kase by Allison Collins, a scientific cultural history board game uh, that focuses on historians have argued for decades over the function of Machu Picchu, swayed between re-examined evidence and charismatic historians building elaborate myth explore the enigmatic wonder and challenge your perception of history. So that was the third place winner. Um, and a little, little snippet here from the rule book. The site of Machu Picchu has captured the imagination of historians for over a century. However, despite years of seeking to understand its secrets, the functionality of Machu Picchu is still an enigma. Was it a lost city as stipulated by a legendary explorer, Hiram Bingham III? Or was it a royal estate, perhaps a citadel, a religious site, or maybe something else entirely? So, Josh, what is your desire to play a game about learning about what in the world Machu Picchu is? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like a jerk. I, I have no interest in it. Uh, okay. But I appreciate um, the work that people put. I'm going to have no honest spoiler alert. I'm probably I'm gonna have no interest in any of these games, <laughs> not because of um, the awards, but just because they fall into the type of games I don't enjoy. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, these are like pretty heavy, like Euro style um, resource management. Though this one does have some deck building in it. Like they yeah. are, I don't think any of these games are going to be uh, lightweight. <laughs> They're like all they heavy euros, is what they look like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, is what it looks like. Okay, so that was the third place uh, winner. Second place was Winter Rabbit by Will Thompson, uh, which says, Explore a pre-Columbian economic system based on reciprocity and community need rather than supply and demand. Prepare your Cherokee village for winter as a trickster rabbit of Cherokee lore disrupts your work. So the rule book says just a little bit. It says, in the world we've come to call the West, history is seen as a linear thing. Events happen. Someone writes them down. We interpret those texts to learn of the history. However, occasionally, those texts are reinterpreted. For the indigenous people of this continent, the telling of history takes a slightly different form. So really just talking about how verbal, the function of verbal history and really looking at kind of, um, you know, history from, you know, we often talk about how history is written by the quote unquote winners, um, looking at history from the perspective of those who, um, the impact of those quote unquote winners, um, what impact that had on them. So really an interesting kind of look there. Again, I, this looks like, again, another really heavy Euro. Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, Hey, there's winter rabbit. And then the third slash first place winner, uh, Tyranny of Blood by, my apologies, Akar Baharadavaj. Baharadavaj? That's what I'd say. Uh, the Indian caste system under British colonialism during the rise and fall of colonialism and ensuing social displacement shaped the nation state to your caste's advantage with its own actions and path to victory. Tyranny of Blood is about a hierarchical system that has opposed people throughout history and has a lingering effect that continues to cause suffering today. 
The game is meant as a condemnation of the system and a method of understanding it, not an endorsement or celebration. I hope that learning about this history will inspire players to think critically about the inequalities that plague the world today and to struggle against them. So again, I think one of the comments from the judges about this game um, really, for me, was like, goodness gracious. It says, this game was easily the most ambitious of any game I reviewed and likely one of the most ambitious titles I've played in years. The design is a far-ranging and well-executed with an incredible attention to historical details and a system-driven approach to working through big problems in design. So, Josh, overall, I think another super, super heavy Euro is looking like um, about the, learning about the cast system. I'm, you know, I'm glad that games like this exist. It's a reason. It's one of the reasons why I don't like war games either, <clears throat> because it's probably just my comfortableness with it. Like the the map looks, uh, you could probably compare it a little bit to like a risk board, but it's like, hey, before you go and roll your two dice, which does not happen in this game, um, to like invade this country, think about what you're doing. Think about the people that are there. And I'm like, I don't, that's not, I mean, I appreciate probably the the educational aspect of it. This is probably great to be taught in classrooms, but I like, I would feel just uncomfortable playing it, I think. Yeah. And that is one thing that really comes through is there, there are <laughs> games like this that exist, but they tend to very much be in the war game genre, kind yes. of like you mentioned, right? Uh, and this is an attempt to kind of bring some of those other uh, games to light and, and to prove a path forward for potentially getting games like this printed that you know if you are into heavy euros maybe you can have play a heavy euro that has a little bit of a different theme or or that isn't just about colonialism and taking over places and things like that so uh, i think it's really cool i'm I'm glad that these exist one thing that is a bit challenging about this is that since these are all prototypes like when you look at the games you're like well that doesn't look that good because everything is a prototype that these people made themselves right right? Right. um so that's always a bit more challenging when you're like well how did this win an award when this game didn't win an award well it's because these games are still being made but uh i'm definitely gonna try to keep an eye on you know where these games go what happens to them and and uh like you said i think if nothing else these are really good opportunities um to engage potentially students in in learning in a different and unique way that rather than just you know reading a textbook or something like that so sure so yeah that's the zenobia awards josh what is your second topic okay well we have a new take on an old property uh resident evil not only do they have a new game uh from steamforge games coming out on kickstarter they have a new co-op card game um that as they describe or at least as dicebreaker describes um is designed to feel like passing the controller as kids. I think it's a pretty unique idea um, because there already is a Resident Evil deck builder also out there. This is different. You have, uh, it plays up to four players, but you will only be controlling Jill Valentine and or Chris Redfield together as a team. So uh, what they're trying to do in this is to put you you in its four players in control of either Jill or Chris. It's not and Chris. I said I said and or earlier. I did. That was a misspeak. Um, so you can pick which one you want, and you'll be exploring the Spencer Mansion um, to deal with its uh, the zombies that are inside there. Uh, but unlike the regular like typical co-op 
card board games, uh, you will all be playing as one single character um, to essentially explore this mansion. So what you're doing during the game is you're going to select uh, a set of three different actions to move Jill or Chris between various rooms, ranging from different floors of the house itself to its garden and hidden laboratory, represented by face-down cards on a play mat board. Uh, and taking inspiration from the creaking doors of the PlayStation game's loading screens, the cards must be flipped from their lock side by using keys collected around the mansion. So you do actually have to find the right items to like look at these cards. Um, if you've played Mansions of Madness, I think this is probably like a uh, you could use that as like inspiration to imagine how to play. Um, the door cards hide transparent cards that reveal what each room contains or the contents of a room randomized during each playthrough uh, due to potential to find different items. Uh, rooms can include um, stock healing items such as green herbs, new weapons, and other helpful items uh, with multiple copies of each numbered card. Um, rooms may also include enemies such as zombies, which you have you can choose to fight or flee, and your health is represented by a cardboard token matching the video game's heart monitor, which decreases from green to orange and then to red as damage is taken. Uh, you can also run into allies from stars, uh, which are the uh, uh, the Black Ops military group in Resident Evil. Um, and there also are bosses in the game. So, you must find the keys and get to the roof in order to successfully escape uh, this uh, run, which lasts 90 minutes. So, I think there's uh, this is a very unique attempt at a, I guess, deck builder slash exploration game. Um, once you, if you do complete it, they do say there is something that they describe as a new game plus mode which unlocks additional items for future replays. Um, it's going to be published by Gen X Games. They're, they're guessing a quarter one 2022 release. What do you think about this? I think this is, as you said, really, really interesting. Uh, I wonder or worry a little bit about when you have a co-op game where all the players are controlling the same character yeah. and just the idea of how like that alpha gamer situation uh might <laughs> yes. play into that um but i do like you said like this is a unique take on how to do a game like this and because of that i am super interested now i have not been super into resident evil in some time i still have resident evil 8 downloaded with the intent to play it but i just <laughs> haven't yet uh but this i am pretty interested in, in keeping my eye on this because i i want to know more because this does seem pretty cool and unique what are your thoughts is this something you're interested in yeah it looks super cool i think um uh it's can it's technically a cooperative game so i think even though it is a resident evil theme i could probably get my wife to play uh, because we'll be playing together i like the idea of where it feels probably like how you play pandemic just in a different way because when you play Pandemic, everyone's just kind of uh, helping you do the best move for everyone. So this is kind of like that, where you're just moving one character instead of four. But you're you're always going to be like, well, should we go here? Should I go here on this turn? 
So I, I think it still kind of plays with that cooperative. Now it would be different if it wasn't a cooperative style game. I don't. I mean, obviously you wouldn't have the same mechanics, but um, and maybe it'll be a little bit different. Like when you run into monsters, like one of us might want to flee, one of us might want to fight. Um, but I think it leaves up like a lot of room for conversation too while you play about what's the right thing to do and what maybe you want to make a risk. Uh, and try something that you wouldn't normally do on your own. So uh, I think it's really cool. And if it comes in at a good price or if it's on a Kickstarter, um, I think it's a no-brainer that I would like to have this in my collection at least. Very cool. Very cool. Um, Josh, I did throw a another link right below your link. Uh, have you seen this? Da, 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 da. You know, I didn't see that it was announced. I knew that it was coming, uh, yeah. but I didn't see that they put this article out. Yeah, because it just went up yesterday. So, listener, what we're talking about, which I know this isn't helpful for you, uh, Far, Cry, Far Cry Beyond. Uh, so, this is a new board game uh, coming from FunForge. And this game was announced initially, I think, in September. I mean, it was pretty recently that they announced that this game was going to be coming out or that they were working on a Far Cry game. Uh, and I, <laughs> here's the one quote I will pull from the article for all of you listeners. This is also from Dicebreaker. Quote, (laughs) it's almost baffling that this is supposed to be a Far Cry themed board game because it bears almost no resemblance to the video game series. End quote. And in looking at the pieces and the board, I'm like, I I guess I see a little bit of Blood Dragon in there probably, which is kind of odd that you'd immediately go to like the offshoot game of the series. But like the there's different type, like there's different character classes. Like what? Like that's not a yeah, that just isn't really a thing. Yeah, but they also have to make it a board game. I know. You I can't know. make Far Cry, the video game, a board game and keep it exactly the same as Far Cry. Right, but then <laughs> but then, it, what's the point, right? Like, why use the Far Cry license then? Maybe they were listening to the entire internet when Far Cry 6 came out and they said <laughs> it needs to be different from the maybe, other Far Cries. Maybe. And now maybe. they're like, well, we can't catch a break because now it's different and everyone hates it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I like the pieces. I think it looks interesting. Uh, it actually kind of reminds me of what the Metal Gear game probably was going to look like. Yeah, uh, kind of. Uh, I like the Blood Dragon art style. I like the weapons. I think that's pretty cool. I like the thing that says rude gesture. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I I don't think that it necessarily looks so crazy different from Fire Cry. But uh, I w- I'm definitely interested in checking it out. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I didn't play it, obviously, and they they were able to play it um, at Essence Beal. Yeah. Uh, so. But there's no they, date or anything, right? Oh, this was like, yeah, I mean, this was published. But I mean, when it's so. coming out, I mean. Oh, yeah. No dates as far as when the game is coming out. So. Um, but yeah. So, hey, there is a Far Cry game on the lookout. You know, the folks at Dicebreaker weren't thrilled with it, but who knows? Maybe it's still going to be good. Uh when I read through the article about what they're talking about, to me, it didn't read as Far Cry. But I guess Far Cry can almost be whatever they want it to be. So they're also sense. British; they don't understand American <laughs> video games. <laughs> you know, made by Canadian studios <laughs> and other globally based Ubisoft studios. But oh uh, well, you know, that's just you know, <laughs> fine details. All right, so we're going to move on to my second topic, and that's right. It is time to add more games. To the newly formed Board of Video Games official rankings, subject to change, video game edition. Uh, these were some newly formed, you know, a few weeks ago that we <clears> had these rankings just starting out. 
Um, so we have a long way to go to catch up to the board game ranking. So I figured we kind of come back to it at this point. Um, yeah. There's six six games totals on the ranking. So I'll go from six to one. Um, number six is Black, back from the PS2 360 days. And then Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 uh, from SNES and Genesis. Ninja Gaiden from the NES. Contra from the NES. Metal Gear Solid from the PlayStation 1. And then Portal is currently the number one game uh, from the 360 PS3 generation. So currently six games on the list. Our goal is to kind of, you know, the video, the board game list is quite beefier at like 33 games right now. So we want to not necessarily get this equal before we go back to the board game rankings, but get at least a few more games on here before we do the board game rankings again as well. Sure. So Josh, what is the first game you'd like to propose that is added to the list? Far Cry 5. Oh man, Far Cry 5. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you want to put it at seven. I, <laughs> I mean, actually, potentially I do. Maybe six or five. But would you really want to put Far Cry 5 ahead like of like Contra and Ninja Gaiden? Yeah, I would I would have it at three. Would you really? But that's because I like it and you hate it, so it's okay. I don't hate oh my gosh. <laughs> so of all the Far Cries, Far Cry five is the one you want to Put on the list first well besides six it's the only one i've ever played, <laughs> played. Gotcha. <laughs> so why josh do you think that far cry 5 uh deserves to be at number three over contra okay well i mean i the video games thing is going to be tough because we're going to come in i think we're going to run into a lot of games like this yeah uh, it's a game series that i had never i had never played before i jump in at the fifth one uh but it's not <clears throat> it's not like playing Dragon Age 5 where there's this immense character lore and backstory where it doesn't make sense to jump into the fifth one. It is a self-contained game and I don't, you know, I can understand why I like it more than some people uh, with my fascination with like true crime. Uh, this, This game really centers on uh, a cult nation and and for me as much as i like the gameplay and the i've never played a game as chaotic as far cry and i and i actually appreciated it for that at the time so i can also understand where some people might have been sick of it by the fifth one if they played all the other ones um but i thought it was like crazy that a bear could just kind of come up and attack you while you're in the middle of a conversation with someone Mm -hmm. but also that makes sense if you're in the woods and you're talking to someone and a bear's around he's not gonna wait for you to stop your conversation before he tries to bite your head off uh i'm not trying to defend those moments in front of cry i just was able to suspend some disbelief there so just to clarify based off that then days gone should be like number three too then right because like those animals would just attack you while you were like yeah I mean if Days Gone was a better game I agree with you <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I really enjoy the seed the the seed family storyline and I really didn't know where it was uh, taking me the protagonist I also liked something that I think uh, it sounds like a lot of people didn't like where there were forest moments in the game to to progress story where you, yeah, I hated those. You kind of you no matter what you did, you were going to run into the situation. I really enjoyed yep. that because it pushed that story forward, and it made it seem like 
I I was as helpless as the character must have felt while playing the game. Like I was like, oh, I can't do anything either, and I'm going right. to be taken or whatever. Uh, I, I get, but I can budge on my ranking. I can budge okay. on my ranking. I get your point there about like how hopeless the character must have felt. The I don't say this often about games, but you know there are people who will always talk about games respecting your time. Yeah. The reason I don't believe uh, the reason I did not like those is that the game did not respect what I was trying to do at that time. I could be in the middle of trying to do something else and the game didn't care. Right. So as far as the game, that was one of the few times I felt like a game did not respect my time because maybe I was working on something or there was some side mission I was trying to do. Or there was something else that was going on. Yeah, that but I was the Seed family doesn't care what you're trying to do. They're going to take it. Right, but this is a game, Josh. It's know, still a game. Know. You know, so that's kind of the big thing. And that's the big reason that those were annoying to me. Because sure. I was like, I'm trying to do this other thing right now. Give me two minutes and then come kidnap me. I don't care. But like that's <laughs> kidnap kind of me the, when the, it's convenient for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think about and like I said, I know you like the game more than me. I would be very comfortable putting it ahead of Mortal Kombat 3. Also, probably comfortable putting it ahead of Ninja Gaiden. I would struggle a little bit with putting it ahead of Contra personally. But again, these are our group ratings. So if you feel very strongly about that, I'm happy to put it at number three. No, I'm okay if you want to put if you if you'll concede to four. I don't mind meeting you halfway. Okay, so the new number four then is Far Cry Six. I kid, Far Cry Five. <laughs> All right, Josh. So my first game. And this is also going to be hard because we have to. We don't always know for these old game, older games, whether or not the other person's played them. Right. I'm going to assume you've played this game, though. Ugh, you never um, know. Because <laughs> it's a spooky game. Uh huh. We're gonna go with Silent Hill Two. Okay. All right. I have played Silent Hill Two. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a long time for me as well. So I'm always trying to kind of go back and like think about. You know, like, what was I like? How did that go? And I played that way back then. Uh, but Silent Hill 2 for me is a game that I, I think overall is, is very, very good. Um, I think obviously it, it for many people is kind of one of the like touchstone horror games. I, I think, um, you know, the themes of what that game is, and especially when we talk about games having more mature themes and developing, uh, you know, thoughtful stories and backgrounds and things like i think that even for especially as a horror game i think silent hill 2 does an excellent job of that um i think it has you know absolutely um characters that still we see this to this day you know 20 years later we still recognize pyramid head and like those are still um things that hold a place of meaning even though we haven't really had a silent hill game or at least a as well respected silent hill game in, in quite some time yeah um so for me i just always think that it, it's kind of one of those really cool experiences that you know i wish that i could have potentially had again and i haven't you know because i don't play as many spooky games anymore but really really like silent hill too i think it's a great game um what are your thoughts on it i agree uh there's definitely um uh some very vivid memories I have of Silent Hill 2. Uh, I think the diff- the problem with Silent Hill is um, because it's like so 
revere like it's hard to remember where the mist first started and where if am i remembering it from part one or part two or the movie yeah for sure um but i mean what's on how to i i remember being in like the school and then the siren going off and the, yep. everything turning red um like very specific things and then uh, obviously the, the twist at the end like near the end and and things like that so um i really enjoyed silent hill 2 when i played it uh this was one of those games playstation 2 era where like i wouldn't be playing by myself either like this is the past the controller to a friend kind of game just like resident evil so um it was also fun to experience that with other people uh, at the same time but yes it was definitely um a genre-defining, like, survival horror game, for sure. Yeah. So with that then, Josh, where do you think Silent Hill 2... Uh-uh. No. That's not how this works. I, for, okay, so for <laughs> me, I would put Silent Hill 2 at number three. Okay, I'm okay with that. But I had a contra, but behind Metal Gear Solid. Sure. Do you? Would you... So now I know that obviously we compromised on the previous game. Yeah. But had we not, do you think Silent Hill 2 should go ahead of Far Cry 5? <clears throat> yeah, I think it's unique enough that um, it should be like, uh, what's the word I would use? It should be noticed for being a genre. Like Far Cry 5, as much as I loved it, it, it didn't change a genre like Silent Hill did. Okay, okay. Awesome. What's your next game then, Josh? You know, I was thinking about um some of these sega games right so now we now that we have oh boy this sega master system getting announced um and then i was like well what is a sega game that i think at least most people have played that isn't sonic because that seems to be crazy to go sonic right now um but is a game that probably most people have played who were kids in the 90s so i want to do toe jam and earl I never played Toe Jam and Earl. You never did? Nope. <laughs> That's did you have a Genesis? You're a Nintendo kid? I did not. I was a Nintendo kid. I didn't have a Genesis. <laughs> My friend did. Um, so I have played some Genesis games, but I never played Toe Jam and Earl. Um, though I thought they were cool looking. Um, and I read magazines about them. I never played yeah. them. But we can still do it. That's okay. We can still rank them. Yeah, we're gonna have to because we're gonna run into so many games that we haven't both played. So Toe Jam right. and Earl was this crazy, uh, very unique game, I would say, if you had to compare it to a game that was out if you ever played zombies ate my neighbors it had a similar style map system to it where like there's so much stuff going on uh on these maps but um you know zombies ate my neighbors always stayed in this this plane of existence which was an apron and toe Germanal kind of defied um all of that um but what i want to see is if the first one, because I believe the first one was two-player. Yes. Okay. So it was one of the games that I remember very specifically being one of the first like simultaneous two-player games that I could play. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I'm sure there was a dozens out there, but for some reason, this is in my memory. It was so weird. You didn't really know what these characters were. Um, but every part of the game had these really weird, uh, quirky, um, NPCs, like this weird stuff going on in the game. And you'd go through these doors and you wouldn't know where you'd come up. Um, and it was just bonkers bizarre. And I just kind of really appreciated that about the game. 
Um, I don't think it's groundbreaking to find like defined genres, but I don't think you could play a game like it when it came out and it had like that split screen gameplay, if I'm remembering correctly, where you'd have someone on the top and the bottom. Uh, I never jumped on the new one. I kind of want to just try it to say I've played it, but um, I thought it was a great game at the time. Do I think it's great now? Probably not. Uh, I would probably put it at number nine for us. Okay. But I think it does deserve to be on our list. Gotcha. Because wasn't it also a roguelite? Yeah, I mean, before that was a thing. Before that was a term, but like, <laughs> yeah. right, where it was like, the, maps the were map was slightly same, different yeah. and location was slightly different of things. Okay. Toe Jam, in real, I will say, though I never played it, um, I always thought the characters were kind of cool and that the concept of like, you know, alien rappers was was interesting. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for the sequel, Toe Jam and Earl, Panic on Funkatron, like that's just a cool name for a game. So, yeah. um, and the music was great, even though it was all MIDI based. Yeah. Yeah, man. And Toe Jam was the red one, right? And Earl was the big orange yeah, guy. Yeah, he was like he was like the what is it was like a like a tapeworm or something weird like that. <laughs> At least that's what <laughs> my impression was of him. It's like this really weird yeah. skinny red thing. Uh Josh, how many more of these do you want to do? Obviously I have one more for sure, but do you want to do an additional one after that? We can if you want. I'm okay with that. Okay, because that'll kind of determine where we go here. All right, Josh. <clears throat> so the next game I'm going to pick then. Um there is actually a theme to my games. We'll see if that you can figure out what the theme is. <laughs> Um, uh, this next game is a game that I didn't play until much, much, much after the game came out. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is not something that I have a lot of, um, ties to initially, but something that, uh, later on in life I, I played and, and that's where my experience came from. Um, but this is, uh, a game that we're going to be getting a new installment in soon but let's go back to the original original with Halo Combat Evolved. Oh, the first one. The first one, Josh. The oh. first one. So, Josh, I know you're a, a Halo person. You've played Halo for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, did you play the original Halo when it came out? What was your experience with that <laughs> first game? Because like I said, for me, it was years later that I actually played it. Yeah, I did a lot more than play the first one when it came out. Uh, I played the crap out of the first one that okay. came out. Okay. Uh, in fact, I know I also would go to the semi-local arcade called Playoff Entertainment, where they had set up um, a LAN thing inside the arcade in dedicated space just for Halo, and we would go play like eight-player Halo, which was like the most you could do at the time. <laughs> um Yes, Halo was, I didn't play games like Counter-Strike, and I don't even know if it was out when Halo came out, because that's how, I don't know what year Counter-Strike was out, but this, Halo was the first type of game like this that I had played. Um, I know that we've had other iterations, like GoldenEye, Perfect Dark, things like that, but not to this degree, and... Um, I kind of loved it for its story. I love the absurdity where you could kill someone with a handgun across a map uh, when you're playing multiplayer. I thought that was funny. Uh, obviously, <laughs> now I wouldn't find it funny being more competitive into it. But uh, I just thought the story was so good and it looked incredible for the time. For someone like you coming into it later, it must have been difficult because it's like 
remembering how good Goldeneye looked and then now looking at it is kind of like what the first Halo was like. Uh, even if you play the 10th anniversary edition where they tried to like remaster it a little bit, definitely looks better. Um, but now it's a rough piece of art. Uh, but back then it was incredible and I loved it to death and, and I've spent countless hours playing it. So, yeah, like I said, you know, this is a game I came to much after the fact. I actually didn't play it until, um, cause I didn't play a ton of Halo until Halo 3. And then that's actually when I went back and played Halo and Halo 2. Um, but really only played them each once. Um, so I didn't have the experience of playing like Halo multiplayer at the time that it was, you know, new and fresh and the, the thing that everyone was talking about. Uh, but I, I do appreciate what Halo has done. And like I said, I played so much Halo 3, you know, and I'm actually really looking forward to playing Halo Infinite because it sounds like all the things I loved about Halo 3, while not identical, but like that same feel might be back, you know, yeah. when it comes to Halo multiplayer, which I'm really, really excited about. So, you know, I, I, I think Halo is one of those games that even if I am maybe not, I don't have the same memories with it as other people, I really respect like what Halo did um, and the place that it holds um in, in gaming history if you if i would if you'd say the thing that I, is hard for me though is i don't know where to put it on this list because i only played it once later you know like that's where i'm really <laughs> struggling because for me i would probably and this is probably gonna be really offensive to some people i probably would put it at like number six but Ooh. i don't know what your thoughts are on that josh i mean i would put it above Far Cry Five, at least. Okay, but see, if I if this was, if this was Halo Three, I'd feel very differently about it. But sure, this is Halo CE. You know, like I know, and I keep looking at Portal, and I'm like, but Portal Two is a better game. Uh, so it is. I agree it with is. you. Like, uh, um, yeah. I mean, if you want to put the first Halo at number six, I'd be okay with that. Because I mean, you're, if you cause put you're it, right. If There's you... so many more Halos we can talk about. Yeah. I mean, if you want to put it at five, if you want to put it above, right above Far Cry Five, like I'm totally fine with that. You know, no, yeah, uh, yeah, we can do that. We can do okay. that. I can appreciate Halo being better than Far Cry Five uh, when you're talking about legacy, which I think we we get to, it's our list, so we can take that into account. That's right. We can take it into account as much as or little as we want to. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So Halo Combat Evolved sitting at number five right now, right above Far Cry Five. All right, Josh, we'll each do one more. What's your next game you want to do? Turok the Dinosaur Hunter. Oh goodness <laughs> gracious! Okay, okay. So when Turok the Dinosaur Hunter came out, it was also a very unique uh, game that pretty much everyone was dying to play, and this is like peak Jurassic Park time. The only Jurassic Park games we have are the terrible, and we don't haven't gotten any better Jurassic Park games, but the Super Nintendo and Genesis versions are like the top-down uh, games, which actually I would say are good, but Turok really brought us into the first-person shooter genre, and it also incorporated a lot of platforming, which I don't know that we've we had seen in first-person shooter games at the time. Um, but we're also limited to first-person games when Turok came out because, of course, um, it's just the like this golden eye, perfect dark era of not 
great graphics, um, but seemed like crazy good at the time. Um, and if I rem- I'm trying to remember, did you need the expansion cartridge on the N64 for Turok? Oh, goodness gracious. I think so. I think you might have needed it. Um, but again, it's so long ago. I did not realize it was published by Disney. Did you know that? I didn't. <laughs> um, was it really? Turok the Dinosaur Hunter was published by Disney? Yeah, it's like a Disney Interactive Studios. Developed by Propaganda Games. We're talking about like the N64 one, right? Uh, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Whoa. Did it come out earlier than that? Yeah, because I'm thinking like Turok Dinosaur Hunter, the game from uh, Crud 90... The N64 one from like 96, 97 timeline? Yeah, I'm wondering why... Yeah, I also am. I don't know why that one came up first. Yeah, N64... Um, I get the box art now. I can tell you that exactly. Yeah, it. Uh, can I zoom in on it? Of course not. Designed for the control pack, um, but you didn't need the uh, the sixty four bit expansion cartridge. But anyways, gotcha. just beside the point. Uh it was some of the bad guys you were into were insane giant behemoth monster things that weren't dinosaurs. And you had like, uh, for me, it was really cool because I used to read a comic called Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, which was where they would put like mech suits on dinosaurs. And like Turek had that too. And it was just a really cool like mix of um, these genres and these really big wide open maps. Uh, and seeing these, like, they weren't quite Velociraptors, but they, obviously they were supposed to be um, coming at you. I just really enjoyed it uh, as, like, a crazy, hectic, fun game. And now I'm going to have to actually figure out what the heck the other Turok was. <laughs> Did I play it on the PS3? <laughs> oh. Well, because, and the Turok that I played much more was Turok 2 Seeds of Evil. Yes. That's, yeah. I played that one much more, and I'm pretty positive that one did require like the expansion pack and all that good stuff. Because I remember I didn't get to play it until I went to college because then I knew someone who had all of the stuff. Because like I like had friends who had an N64. I didn't have an N64 at my house, but we we only ever used it for multiplayer games. Like we didn't really play a lot of the other stuff. Yeah, you did need the expansion pack for it now that I'm looking at the box art. Oh, okay. So yeah, so I I have really good memories of Turok in general. I think it was a really fun game. I I do remember this was one of the first games that I remember like being at work and having people like talking about this game. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I I was gaming before that and like I was playing a ton on Super Nintendo and all that good stuff, but this was really one of the first times that I was old enough that I had a job and I was out and doing things, but I was talking to people who were older than me even who were talking about this game. And it was really one of the first times i remember having a conversation with someone about video games like in-depth like conversations about it so uh, i have i have very good fond memories of this i have not touched this game since probably <laughs> night like either this or the second one since probably like 1999 yeah uh, so it'll be it's gonna be really hard for me to pick a place as far as where it should go on here uh but i do have great memories of it so where, where are you thinking for initial placement then josh 
I think um, I would put it right under Ninja Gaiden. Uh, I think it's a good game. I don't think it's a great game, but uh, I think it's, I mean, I, you know, you were surprised when I put Ultimate MK3 in here, but I, it's not my favorite. Mortal Kombat, it was kind of like a pulse, like to get a reading of where you thought <laughs> Mortal right. Kombat was going to hit. <laughs> Indeed. No, I'm I'm totally fine with that. That seems like a good placement to me, um, putting it right above that, which is currently would be number eight. Um, so that's awesome. All right. So the Josh, here's going to be my final game I'm going to pick, and then I'm going to see if you can figure out what the theme of my picks were. Okay. Uh, my final game. How the game I just picked, Halo, has a new iteration of the game coming out here um, soon in December. This yeah. game is getting polished up and looking all fresh and so clean, clean. And we're getting a remaster of this game coming out in spring 2022. Yes. And that is Grand Theft Auto 3, Josh. Oh, okay. So, Josh, what is your history with Grand Theft Auto three i guess specifically but gta in general did you play this game what are your thoughts on gta 3 yeah grand theft auto 3 was a game i really really tried to like and i played it a bunch um grand theft auto 3 is also the game that made me realize uh i don't like grand theft auto games uh in general uh i like the multiplayer aspect of gta playing with friends especially gta 5 a game that i've been playing for 10 years with friends (laughs) (laughs) odd enough but um gta 3 was the first one i really like put some time into and then like vice city and san andreas like all these games i really tried every grand theft auto because i wanted to be part of the conversation i just this was grand theft auto is the game that made me understand that i need to play linear games gotcha it was a very good teaching game. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fine. I appreciate, I understand why everyone loves it. I really do. Um, I still think it is uh, incredibly um, ambitious and it, and it hits all the all that for everyone. Uh, but I'd, I'd play Grand Theft Auto, top-down race driving like, game over this any day. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, so GTA 3 was one of those games that I really, really wanted to like. But also, you know, we're going open world. We're doing all these things, you know, for the first time. And kind of like you, I was like, oh, goodness gracious. Like, I don't really know if I like this, if I don't like this, exactly what this should be um, and what's all going on here. And really, it it came at a time in my life where um, I just didn't have as much time to play games. So I definitely dabbled in it, but I feel like I did the same things over and over and over again because I'd always like pick it up and start it, and then I would run out of time, and then I put it down for months, and I come back to it, and I pick it up and I start it again. Uh, but also to me, that kind of talks about how it didn't hold on to me as much as it does for others. Um, and so when people talk about like, and I know others like absolutely loved like that, you know, the GTA three kind of trilogy of games um, with and all that good stuff. But I, for me, it just Part of me is really interested in this remaster coming out because I kind of want to play it again to see like if I just like if I just was something at the time that didn't connect with me as much, um, and if you know playing it now, would I be more excited about it, more into it? Would I be able to stick with it more, or you know, is it going to kind of be a uh, a victim of the time it was made and, and the old ways? 
that games did things and i'm just so i'm really interested to kind of see how that goes so i respect the place that it has um in gaming like i think it's obviously a game that really helps kind of change the trajectory that games had so again kind of like halo there's like a uh appreciation for what the game did for the rest of gaming uh, but my particular uh thoughts and feelings uh, on gta 3 is just not as high um as probably most other people except for yeah. maybe you so this is maybe like, <laughs> like, if, like i was trying to put breath of the wild on this list um so for me right now for gta 3 and i know this is going to be really bad for some people i would probably put it at number eight it's our list we can do when it you, is our list we when can put you it wherever Google we want to gta 3 the first like when google has like people also ask the first uh-huh. question is why is gta 3 so bad <laughs> okay well there you go there you go um yeah i'm okay with that that's fine with me so you you're okay at putting it right behind ninja gaiden sure i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fight one way or the other i'm comfortable with what where you feel it should go gotcha um do you know what the theme of my picks were well it can't be uh remasters because you listed silent hill and there's no way we're getting a new silent hill kyle <laughs> that's true there is no well we'll see i guess we'll see um no that is not what is it all the music was done by tommy tellerico what are... <laughs> <laughs> no all, josh all these games came out in 2001 oh interesting Yep, so that was my that was my theme. Those were all 2001 games. So, I don't plan to do that every time, but I was first I was like looking up Silent Hill 2. I was like, ah, I'm pretty sure I want to do this cuz it's spooky. And then when I was looking stuff up for Silent Hill 2, I was like, "Oh, man, Halo, GTA 3, we'll just do those two. That's pretty much how it happened." So, nice. All right, so there's the updated list. You can find it. I think it's still our pinned tweet. If not, yes. I'll update that soon. Um, but the top five right now, five to one, are Halo Combat Evolved, Contra, Silent Hill 2, Metal Gear Solid, and Portal. So that's kind of where things are sitting at right now. Obviously, we always want to hear what you have to think as well, listeners. So if we are totally messing up this list, feel free to tell us. With that, we're going to move on to prediction time. Obviously, we record on Sundays and post on Tuesdays, so we want to you know, try to predict any of the big news that we miss on Monday. So, Josh, what is your prediction this week? <clears throat> I predict Nintendo will backtrack and lower the new price of Nintendo Switch online. And if I'm going to be more specific, I think that means they're going to remove the Animal Crossing content and maybe lower the price by like 10 or 15 bucks. Dang. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I'd be super, especially if it happens that quickly. But hey, weirder things have happened. Um, so my prediction, which this doesn't happen that often. I actually wrote my prediction like in the show notes when I sent them to you. Yeah. And then since I did that, there has been a leak that this was going to happen. Oh, and no. then someone who said, no, that leak is wrong. Oh. That the game is definitely coming out this year, which doesn't usually happen, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Um, so my prediction is that Battlefield 2042 is going to get delayed again, but this time out of 2021. Okay. So, uh, yeah, there was a leak this weekend that happened that said that was happening, and then a well-known Battlefield leaker came out and said, like, nope, game's still on track. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see. it. I'm probably totally, totally wrong based off of that, but hey, I gotta stick with what my gut told me. So with that, then we're going to move on to recommendations for a well-rounded life. Obviously, we're a gaming podcast, but we want to give you one other thing we're currently into that's helping us live that balanced life. Josh, what is your recommendation this week? My recommendation is, well, it's spooky season, and Netflix knows that. So, of course, they released a new batch of the movies that made us uh, shows, uh, the horror movies that made us, if you will. Um, 
The first episode is Halloween, the original. The second episode is Friday the 13th, the first one. The third episode is Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one. The fourth episode is Aliens, and I don't know if there's more because I haven't watched the Aliens one yet. Um, I was like, oh, I can watch it on my phone, but I want to watch this in HD because it's very well, it's very good production quality. I really enjoy the series, the movies that made us. I'm not as crazy about the new voice actor who does the narration, but I'm assuming the original guy was like, pay me more. And they were like, no, <laughs> we'll just pay this British guy now instead. Um, but it's really fun. I really enjoyed learning. I learned a lot about how Halloween, um, and Friday the 13th was made. I kind of knew everything, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. That wasn't really new to me, but, uh, the first two, I really learned a lot about how they made those. And there's some fascinating stuff. Even if you don't like horror movies, I still think there's a lot of, uh, value into watching these because you get to see how movies get made and sometimes it's crazy what producers go through and actors and directors uh it's a really holly holly weird get it uh, uh that's my recommendation kyle <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent all right my recommendation is a documentary <laughs> what no way uh called count me in which is currently on netflix uh count me in is about drumming um, specifically looked at focused on uh, drummers in mostly rock bands uh, and really kind of looks at like the history of that and kind of how you know people have gotten to be like modern drummers have gotten to the place where they are and it, it's not so like in uh, and about drumming that like you have to know drumming to be able to watch this documentary uh, but some as someone who was a drummer at one point in my life and occasionally considers going back to it uh, it was really cool to sit down and hear kind of some contemporaries talk about their influences and where they got to where they are uh if you love music i think you'll really potentially enjoy this if you're not someone who is into music at all like i don't think this is something going to change your mind about it uh the only thing i will say that was interesting is it was they focused on um drummers who were significant in the history of rock music and they talk kind of about the influences that they've had on others to a degree it's not like super in-depth stuff uh but it's just really funny because on the IMDb page for this show uh, or for this movie, one of the trivia things is that there's not a single mention of Neil Peart. Like, and there's <laughs> not, which is disappointing. But I just think that's interesting that like one of the, like a singular trivia piece is like, hey, they didn't talk about this one drummer. Um, but overall, like I said, I think if you like music, especially if you're interested in drumming, uh, count me in. Uh, a really easy recommendation on Netflix. Nice. So with that, Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithfiji at gmail.com. We tag our stuff, all of our stuff, sometimes, usually, with hashtag Board with Fiji on social media, so please feel free to use that hashtag as well so we can search for it and see what you're up to. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is, whether you're downloading us from the Dice Tower, Network Feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. You can find me on Xbox Live, 
PlayStation Network at Why So Serious, S I R R I U S, also on Steam. Uh, I'm about, we're less than a month away. We're three weeks away from Extra Life. I have hit my goal. Um, I haven't stopped fundraising though, so I added some incentives today. If you want, if if anyone donates $50 to the Extra Life campaign, I will dedicate an hour of game time to any Game Pass game you want me to choose and play. That in, in I will be streaming. So you can either watch my delight or uh, misery, depending on what you pick. Um, but I will play something for at least an hour uh, if people donate for that. And I'll probably add another set of incentives next week as well. Kyle, where can people find you? So Josh, I'm going to put a pause on this. We're, I don't, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. But we're going to play a game this coming weekend. Oh, yeah. How did we not mention that? <laughs> I mean, we technically mentioned it last week, but yeah, we didn't say specifically. Yeah. So we are going to play the Dark Pictures Anthology House of Ashes on Saturday, the 23rd. Uh, the game comes out the 22nd. Tentative time right now is 8 Eastern. We'll be playing that. So we'll uh, share it on social media. Uh, but, you know, our one of our annual traditions at this point is playing this yeah. game every year. Uh, but also, you know, a rare stream from us. Something we probably should try to do more. But, hey, Dark Pictures Anthology, House of Ashes, this Saturday. Be there. Buckle up. It's going to be great. But you can find me on all the usual places. Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek. All at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.